Class is in session. You're listening to Squat University by Dr. Aaron Horshake. Let's go! Now, let's start the show. Hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you so much for checking out today's show. This is episode 50 of the Squat University podcast. The goal with each and every one of these shows is to bring you as much value-packed content to help you move better in the gym and in life, decrease your body's aches and pains, and help you reach your true athletic potential. Now, before we get started today, I just want to give you guys a heads up as to my seminar schedule this year in 2019. Now, as many of you know, I don't do a ton of traveling for seminars. As my job as a doctor of physical therapy, working with patients out here in Kansas City, 40 plus hours a week is my full-time job. Squat University is, I guess you would say, my second job on top of that. So, However, I still love to do a little bit of traveling and have a few seminars planned for this upcoming year. The first one, by the time you guys are listening to this, is about seven weeks away, and that's April 13th and 14th in 2019 in Waterford, Ireland, just south of Dublin. And the second one is going to be June 1st and 2nd this summer in Kansas City. Uh, The sign-up for the Ireland one has been going on for a few weeks now, and I think there's maybe 12 or so slots yet. And for the Kansas City seminar, my only U.S. seminar this year, the tickets will be up today by the time you're listening to this. Now, if you have never come to a Squaw University seminar before, I split the weekend up into two eight-hour days. Now, this seminar is not your boring classroom seminar conference. That's many of us are used to in the strength conditioning field. So expect to get up and get moving. You'll learn how to screen your entire body from head to toe, expose problem areas that hamper squatting technique. We then go over uh, specific corrective exercises that fix each weak link that we found. Now each person who attends the seminar receives a workbook that they can use to help detail all the specific movement problems that they uncover and how to address each issue to decrease your individual risk for future injuries and how to improve of your technique. Then the second half of the day, we come and do a lot of barbell training and technique work. And then the second day then is all about common injuries in the weight room, how to screen them and take the first steps to addressing these injuries before they turn into a big injury. And this is why staying proactive in our approach is so important to the everyday aches and pains that occur in the weight room when we're moving big weights. So we don't have to resort to ignoring these aches and pains and go to a doctor every time something pops up and pay a huge copay just to hear a doctor say, take some paid meds, ice and rest. So the second day is all about really taking a proactive approach in addressing common injuries. Now, There are tickets uh, available to day one, day two, or to both days combined um, for each of those seminars. And if you are a member of the National Strength and Conditioning Association, NSCA, the June seminar in Kansas City day one will be CEU approved. So uh, if you would like to sign up for a Squat University seminar, just go to my website, squatuniversity.com. At the top, there should be a seminar tab. You can click through there and get your tickets. Um, so without further ado, let's get to today's topic. Today, we're going to be talking about energy leaks. Now, what the heck is an energy leak? Some people refer to technique problems uh, during barbell training as an energy leak. But what does that really mean? The body's often referred to as a kinetic chain. People will say that everything from the foot all the way to our head, everything is connected like the links in a chain, and everything must work together in a coordinated fashion to accomplish whatever set task we're trying to do. Now, let's talk about barbell training. When you're doing a squat, think about it like this. It's not just your quads that are working. It's not just your hamstrings. It's not just your glutes. So many people, especially when you talk to someone 
who is especially in the world of bodybuilding will say, all right, today's a leg day, we're doing squats, right? Everyone's heard of that before. When you're doing a squat, when you're doing a deadlift, you're not just working one specific group of muscles or maybe even two. It's a full body movement. You're working every muscle together. And if you think about this, some of the best deadlifters, some of the best squatters of all time, they have humongous backs. And think about when you're squatting, we don't think necessarily, oh, this is a back workout. But if you have a weak back, how are you going to support so much weight on your back? It's not because a lot of these power lifters or huge weight lifters are doing a lot of assisted exercises for their back. It's They're just doing the main barbell lifts. And in doing so, they're working their back muscles uh, to such a great degree that they're able to develop these humongous back muscles. Now, if there is an imbalance along this kinetic chain in creating tension or generating force, something's not moving correctly, um, energy toward the ultimate goal is dissipated into a different task that is therefore sort of breaking the chain and making the overall movement less efficient. So if we think about it like this, if you're driving your car down the highway, we should have all four wheels pointed the same way. Well, what happens if while I'm driving, all of a sudden my right uh, front axle sort of breaks and my right front tire sort of facing in towards the midline of the body? Well, what's happening to the efficiency of me driving that car? Obviously, it's greatly diminished. Something eventually is going to go even more wrong. Well, the same sort of thing happens to our bodies whenever we're lifting specifically. If something is out of place in the entire body from head to toe, we have all these small joints and muscles that need to be working together for the mechanical efficiency of our body to work as well as possible towards our desired goal. So let's go over a few examples of an energy leak when lifting. Let's talk the deadlift first. Now, during a deadlift, I think most of us would agree that we want to set our spine in a very stable in firm position while the hips are then moving. So most of the movement is taking place across the hips. Now, if you guys have any question in that goal, I would definitely refer you to go back and listen to the two podcasts I did with Dr. Stuart McGill. Now, sometimes we do see some massive power lifters with a slightly rounded spine. But even then, it is locked in, and most of the movement during the deadlift where they're standing up, the movement takes place across the hips. They're not moving their spine. Now, what happens when the back rounds? The back is moving from a more neutral postured position into a rounded position called lumbar flexion, and this instantly drains the body's energy for completing the deadlift. Now, I'm sure most of us who are listening have at one time or another, or especially if you're in the sport of powerlifting, you've gone really heavy on deadlifts before. And I'm sure you've probably failed at a deadlift heavy attempt before. Now, if you have tried a very, very heavy deadlift before during maxes and you have felt your back sort of go, you lose that stability in your core, what happens to the power that you have into your legs? It instantly dies away. Dr. McGill always says proximal stiffness allows for distal athleticism and power. So basically, if we lose our core stiffness, especially during a deadlift, the ability to continue pushing and creating power into the legs decreases. Basically, we lose our mechanical efficiency for that desired end goal, which is lifting that weight all the way to our hips. Think about it like this. If I take a baseball and I throw it at the wall, 
the ball's structure remains intact and the energy from the ball hitting the wall creates that equal reaction in making the ball then bounce back. However, what happens if I take a big bowl and make a ball of spaghetti? So it's a nice firm ball of spaghetti and I throw it hard against the wall just like the baseball. Well, obviously, the original structure of that ball is going to completely deform and the energy is just going to dissipate into the wall. The spaghetti is not going to bounce back. It's going to hit the wall and just fall to the ground. And if you guys saw my visual of this, uh, by this, by the time the podcast comes out, scroll back in my Instagram feed. I made a great visual analogy of this. And yes, I did throw spaghetti at a wall. So you guys can see what that looks like. Uh, It was not uh, a ton of fun cleaning that off the turf, but it made for a good visual. Now, during a lift like a deadlift, we need certain areas of the body, like I said, to remain in a certain posture to allow for mechanical efficiency. So if the back deforms, It's like that spaghetti hitting the wall and then moving from that original ball structure into just a mess of floppy spaghetti noodles. Energy is lost from the original goal of the ball spaghetti hitting the wall and bouncing back just like the baseball. So if we are leaking energy from our original structure, it creates a situation where we will lose power during our lifting. Now, energy leaks also create microtrauma as certain tissues are now overloaded and eventually that could lead to an eventual injury. So not only are we talking performance issues, but we're talking possible injury issues as well when we're talking energy leaks. Now what's an example of this? Now we've all been told that allowing the knee cave during a squat is a bad thing. Now if we look at the anatomy of your knee, The innermost anatomy is your femur connecting to your tibia. There are a bunch of ligaments that surround that area. We then have a bunch of muscles that come and sort of cross the joint. There's tendons that are holding things together. If we're looking at our kneecap that sits on top of the femur, the patella, there are a number of tissues that connect to that, a number of muscles that have a little bit of a hold um, that help it track within this femur. It's almost like a train running in a train track. Now, when you are squatting and have knee cave, and I'm talking bad knee cave, something we would call a knee valgus, during a slow and loaded movement, like a squat, you're likely never going to see a torn ACL. Um, That is the mechanism, the valgus mechanism. That's what tears an ACL with a basketball player or soccer player or football player whenever they're performing a very quick and powerful movement, um, like running on the field or landing from a jump and cutting. But when it's a slower movement, like a squat, and there's a ton of load, there's a lot more compression on the knee joint. So mostly we are not seeing torn ACLs. At least I have never seen a torn ACL due to a squat. However, what we will see is issues with the kneecap and the way the kneecap is moving within that groove. Remember, I called it a train moving on a train track. What happens is that when the knee gets pulled in towards the midline of the body, it gets pulled off axis, and that movement creates an uneven pull on the kneecap. Over time, this can create uh, an injury that we would call patellofemoral pain. Now, that's a very gross or very large uh, term that can encapsulate many different types of knee pain. But basically, it's an overuse injury that can create some nagging knee pain just generally around the front side of your knee. Now, 
Let's bring a little bit of research into this topic. I want to just briefly go over and share you guys some words from a research article called Patellofemoral Disorders, a Classification System and Clinical Guidelines for Non-Operative Rehabilitation. That's a mouthful of science jargon. And that's from an article. This is a very, very common, um, very popular article on knee pain. From uh, co-authored by a number of people, but more importantly, Dr. Kevin Wilk, who is a very famous uh, surgeon, especially in the sports of football, basketball, baseball. You will hear his name come up a lot. But during this article, they have an area where we're talking about biomechanical problems at the knee, basically technique issues and how that can lead to patellofemoral pain. Basically, a problem in the kneecap, the patella tracking poorly. And I'm just going to read word for word and we'll go over it. Patellofemoral pain may develop in individuals with various activity levels due to biomechanical factors which affect the patellofemoral joint. These biomechanical factors can often be subtle and gradually lead to significant pain and dysfunction. The authors have clinically noted that a subtle alteration in normal mechanics may have a profound effect on the patellofemoral articulation over a period of time related to repetitive movements, which eventually can create pain. So what the heck did all that science jargon just mean? Basically, they're saying that all of these clinicians who work with patients for years and years have noted that those who do repetitive movements where the knee is not being kept in access, basically it's allowing the knee to waver around, can create eventual pain in the knee. So what we're talking about is an energy leak where the knee pulls in. If you're squatting down, the knee's in line with the body. And then on the ascent, the knee just dives right in. We are overloading certain tissues because the body is not moving in axis anymore in that desirable technique. Basically, like I talked about the car driving before, if you are squatting and on the ascent your knee caves in, it is just like your front right tire just driving right in towards the midline of your body, breaking off the axis, but the left front tire is just going straight. What is happening to the way in which that car is driving? It doesn't take a, a knowledgeable mechanic to go, that's probably going to do something to that car eventually. The same thing happens to our patellofemoral joint. Now, is it instantly going to create pain? Probably not. Your body's pretty resilient, but with repetition and repetition and repetition and the amount of load and the duration, obviously there's some genetic variability. You get some athletes who are very elite, touched by the hand of God and can go year after year with heavy weight and they can lift like that for a long time and never have pain. The majority of us are not so lucky. If you squat with knee valgus, where your knees collapse in off axis, um, eventually you're going to have pain. Most of us develop pain in the knees. Um, and using an elite athlete who allows their knees to cave in as an excuse for why you can do it and get away with it is a very poor way to justify poor mechanics. Eventually, knee issues develop. So the idea behind today's podcast is to get you guys to understand that an energy leak is a way of looking at the body and understanding that when technique problems arise, if you know deficiencies in our movement quality, it is just the same thing as energy leaking out of your body. You don't have to always approach it from a injury standpoint. Understand that there's the potential down the road. It's usually not an all of a sudden 
big injury in sports of weightlifting, powerlifting, CrossFit, but the repetitive things. On top of that, let's think performance because often when I talk to athletes who have movement problems, if I tell them, hey, that's eventually going to cause an injury down the road, guess how much buy-in that athlete's going to have in actually fixing an issue? Not much. There may be some, but not many. If I tell that athlete, hey, that movement problem is leaking, it's bleeding energy out of your body system that could be put forth into creating a better lifting pattern that's going to give you the potential for lifting more weight, all of a sudden that athlete's bought in because their goal in lifting, in getting in the weight room, is lifting more weight, is setting that new record, is standing on the metal stand if they're a competitor. So think about your technique issues throughout the day whenever you're lifting and understand that it is extremely important to lift with the most efficient technique as possible. I don't care if you are an elite athlete at the top of your game. You should still focus on trying to improve technique issues because even if you are a great athlete, moving even more efficiently could give you the potential to lift even more weight because it's allowing energy to remain in the system toward the desired end goal of your lift. So let's talk about now about a few common risk factors or factors that lead to energy leaks. Uh, the first and most common that I see is an off-balance lift. Now, if we're talking about the squat, how do you know if you have an off-balance lift? We want to view the squat from the side. So if you're with a friend, have a video, um, you know, take it from someone's phone, look at your squat from the side. Is your barbell tracking relatively over the middle of your foot? Your body weight, we want our center of gravity to be right over the middle of our foot. We don't want all of our weight in our heels. We obviously don't want it all the way onto our toes, but we want it structurally aligned right over the middle of your foot. The more your weight is balanced over this middle point, the more efficient your body can be because it's not being pushed off balance. Um, the second most common is knee position, like we just talked about the knee cape. Um, where does that come from? Knee position and the ability to maintain the knee in line with your foot starts with a, a stable foot. You have to have that tripod foot, the full foot grabbing the ground. If you have a very anatomically flat foot, that does not mean that you automatically have an unstable foot. You just have to really focus on not allowing your foot to cave over into excessive pronation. We want our foot um, balanced over three points of contact. The heel, the base of the first toe, the base of the fifth toe, that's the tripod foot. So knee positioning starts with a stable foot. It also starts with creating external rotation torque at the hips. That means when you step out of the squat rack and you're setting your feet, your big toes jammed down to the ground, your foot's grabbing the ground, we then drive our knees out to the side a little bit to turn on those lateral glutes. Now too much turns that external rotation torque into external rotation movement of the leg. I don't want those toes to spin out. I want those big toes jammed down to the ground so our foot remains glued to the ground. But by turning on those lateral glutes, we're centering the hip joint together, the femur right in the center of the hip joint. We're allowing the muscles of the hip to work as efficiently as possible. Um, so that's off-balance squat, knee position, the last common factor for creating an energy leak is just losing stability like we talked about before with the deadlift. Whenever you are going to lift, especially with big weight, we have to create sufficient stability at the core. Now, if you are lifting a pencil from the ground, you obviously don't need to take a humongous breath, Valsalva maneuver, grunt, and pick that pencil up. Sufficient stability for the task at hand. But if you're going to deadlift 100 kilos and then you're going to go and deadlift 
200 kilos, we obviously have to create much more stability at the core in order to allow our distal athleticism to come through and keep our back in a good position so we're not leaking that energy. So what does this mean? Taking a big breath, bracing the core like someone's about to jack you right in the stomach, and then lifting. If you guys don't follow him on Instagram, uh, powerlifter Chris Bridgeford, there's some great visuals that he gives as far as how to set your body correctly before pulling the bar, um, especially in the deadlift. He's taking a big breath. He's creating tremendous tension in the body, almost locking out those arms, taking the slack out of the barbell, and then pulling the bar from the ground. And it's an equal drive into the ground and pull back on the barbell. And that's how you're creating sufficient tension in the body so that we can limit energy leaks as you go through your lifting. So um, if you would like to learn how to screen your body to see if you can uncover specific weak links that you may have that could be leading to an energy leak, there's a very easy way to do it. Go on squatuniversity.com, click on the blog article tab. A ton of free content is on there. I mean, it starts off at the very top. How to screen your ankle mobility. There's a blog for it. Go through. How to screen your shoulder mobility. How to screen for low back pain. There's so many different articles I have on there all for free to help you understand how to uncover and illuminate weak links that you may have that could be contributing to movement problems. So that is it for today's content. I hope you guys liked this quick Um, podcast on understanding the terminology of energy leak and how that fits into our understanding of viewing technique problems so that we can uncover problematic factors that are limiting our potential to live with good technique, fix them so that we can then give ourselves the better potential for lifting big weight in the future because that's what it's all about when we're in the weight room. Um, So I hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast. If you did, please like, share it around on Instagram. Please tag me in it so I can personally reach out to you and say thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to the podcast. It really means a lot to me to lend me your ears for the short amount of time during the week. I hope you guys are crushing your workouts. And until next week, guys, happy squatting. That's it for today, class, on Squat University by Dr. Aaron Horshig. For more exclusive content, log on to squatuniversity.com.